Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're going to spend a good part of the later part of the show talking about the millage that's on the ballot in Wayne County. A millage to raise two mills, $80 million to spread around among area school districts. School districts that have seen cuts from the state, school districts that are still struggling to recover from the recession in terms of the amount of money that their communities have. What is the, what's the reason for this millage? What's the idea behind it? Is it a good idea in an environment where so many people are concerned about their tax bills, about the size of their tax bills? Is it a great idea in an environment where so many people are concerned about their schools. We're going to talk with Randy Lipa. He's the superintendent of Wayne Risa, uh, the org- the governmental structure that will handle this millage and distribute the money and uh, and keep track of it. We'll also talk with the superintendent of Livonia Schools, who supports it. But then we're also going to hear from Mark Greathead, who is the superintendent of the Woodhaven Brownstown School District. That school district opposed the idea of this millage. We'll hear why. And of course, We'll want to hear from you during that conversation. If you live in Wayne County, are you voting uh, to increase your taxes to give more money to schools? If you live outside Wayne County, do you think this says something about the way we fund public education here in the state of Michigan that we're asking increasingly uh, for alternative ways to get money into classrooms. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. But up front today, people buying health insurance through the Affordable Care Act marketplace are going to see big premium hikes in 2017. Obamacare premiums are expected to rise an average of 22% next year. This news broke just two weeks before the November 8th election. What does it mean for patients and what does it mean for voters who are headed to the polls. Joining me now to talk about it is Paul Demko, a healthcare reporter with Politico. Paul, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, so let's let's talk about this news that that came out about these healthcare premiums. First, explain what's happening and why, but then also let's talk about what effect this kind of news has on the political cycle. So late in the campaign, there's no way something like this doesn't have an effect on voters. Absolutely. Yeah, as you said, 22% is the average rate increase. I mean, that varies dramatically across the country. So you have situations like Arizona, where the average increase is approaching 100%. I think it might even be more than 100%. And then you have other states like California is a good example, where you have rather uh, fairly modest increases. So it it varies uh, dramatically, but um, the overall increase is about 22%, and that's roughly three times as high as we saw last year. Um, This was not entirely a surprise. This news has sort of been dribbling out, um, you know, since May. In mm-hmm. fact, I was looking, I wrote a story back in May called Obamacare's November Surprise. Um, but, you know, the kind of official verdict on where these premiums are going to be, uh, you know, did come out just uh, barely a week before um, Election Day or two weeks and um, is having a huge impact potentially on the race. It's certainly something that Republicans are seizing on and Donald Trump is seizing on to try to put Democrats uh, on the defensive in these final days. In fact, Trump is having a big rally today in Pennsylvania, the focus of which is going to be Obamacare, and a bunch of House members are going to be joining him um, for that. So clearly, they see this as a vulnerability for for Democrats and and an issue that they can unite behind. Yeah. Uh, The the increases, 
Why are we seeing them? Uh, talk about these marketplaces that were created by health reform, what the expectation was for how those uh, marketplaces were going to work and what the reality has been. That's the, the, the gap between those expectations and what actually happened is one of the things that helps explain what we're seeing. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest factor is that insurers just simply underpriced these products. They under uh, underestimated how expensive these customers were going to be, and there haven't proven to be as many of them as anticipated. Um, so the overall pool has just proven more expensive than um than folks expected. So this is in some ways a one-time uh, correction to that reality um, now that they have kind of a full understanding of, of what this marketplace is going to look like. But you also have exacerbating that. You had some programs that were baked into the law to sort of help out insurers in the early years, um, protect them from big losses. And a couple of those are expiring. So that's, um, that's having an effect on, on rates. And then you have, you know, just medical cost trend, which uh, you know, has exceeded inflation in recent years, even though it's been uh, lower than than it had been. Um, and then you have, you know, the some of the big insurers, uh, United Health Group, Aetna, and Humana, pulling out of the markets, and I think that's having an impact as well. And and the the reason that this market is is more volatile than we thought it would be is, as you point out, because. The, the people who are in it are different than what people expected. They are older, they are sicker, uh, and, and there are not as many of them as, as people believed. Is it, a, is it a reasonable conclusion to say that is, that is an expected sort of early turbulence that you would see in a market, in a new marketplace? In other words, something that you create from scratch, you, you project out what you think is going to happen and then of course you see what happens and then you have to have to adjust is that a fair uh, sort of pushback against the idea that this is proof that for instance that health reform is not working Yes, absolutely. I mean, yes, the CBO predicted that 22 million people would be enrolled in exchange products this year, and that the reality is is more like 11 million. But uh, nobody, I mean, those were those were projections based on, you know, the best the best data they had. But nobody knew what these markets were were going to look like, or exactly how they were going to shake out. And the fact is, you know, the the uninsured rate has dropped to the lowest level ever recorded. It's 8.6 percent. I think was the most recent figure. Um, you know, it's roughly been cut in half. Um, so you got to always keep that in mind when you're thinking about this. And the other thing, which I probably should have said up front, is you know, um, less than 10% of Americans get their coverage through the individual market. Right. Less than 10%. And and you know. 85% of exchange customers are eligible for subsidies that will, will largely shield them from these big rate hikes. Yeah. Now, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Paul Demko. He's a healthcare reporter at Politico. We are talking about the premium increases for Affordable Care Act marketplace plans, as much as an average of 22% next year in states around the country. Uh, of course, this news has been dribbling out all year that we would expect these kinds of increases, but it really hit a few weeks ago when the final rates were announced right before the presidential election, which is, of course, coming up on November 8th. Uh, give us a call and tell us, what do you think of these uh, premium increases? 
What does it tell you about health reform in the country? And what does it say to you about how you might vote on November 8th? Do these rate increases change the way that you might vote on November 8th? 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook, the WDET page there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Paul, I... I, I I sort of want to get to a, a bigger issue that I think lurks behind this, and that's the the, the question of uh, of whether. So this is the market side of health reform. Uh, of course, the the public side of it was the expansion of of Medicaid, which which has been responsible for. Uh, the, the the increase uh, or most of the increase in in people who carry insurance. I've heard some people say that this argues against the idea of mixing those two things. That that of course, uh, affordable the Affordable Care Act was a set of compromises about whether to uh, to have more people uh, have their health insurance paid for through the government and more people or more people have. Better choices. The, the the choice side of this is the one that that is so volatile right now. Some people on the left are saying this is a reason to not have tried that in the first place, or maybe this is a reason to move away from that and move more people onto uh, things like Medicaid or, or or other public programs because that has been more stable. How how would you? sort of answer that? Well, if you remember, I mean, when Democrats passed this law, they had, um, well, when they were debating it anyway, they had full control of of Congress, including a a veto-proof majority in the Senate. And they still couldn't garner even enough support for what's typically called the public option, basically a government-run insurance option. Um, So that's how we ended up with this more sort of market-based approach. And I think it was an attempt, an ill-fated attempt, but an attempt to bring some Republicans into the the fold. To get them to vote for it, sure, yeah. (laughs) But it didn't happen. So, but but given that reality that there wasn't even you know full support among Democrats for uh, a, a public option back then, it seems hard uh, to see where you get the political will to do that now. I mean, now t- uh, pivoting to to Hillary Clinton, what she's put forth for health care, she does have as part of her platform a Medicare buy-in proposal, and uh, we don't have a lot of details. But essentially, the idea is that the near elderly, folks 55 and older, who often face very high health care costs in the open market, could buy into the Medicare program. So that's one way that you could get a little bit more towards, uh, get some more folks into public programs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's go to the phones here. Uh, David in St. Clair Shores. David, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, You know, just listening to this conversation, um, enjoy it a lot. And, you know, when it's nice to hear the conversation dig past the headlines. And I guess when we're talking about a general election coming up, there's a piece of me that's fearful as to how this will impact it uh, in the sense that I fear that most voters won't dig past the headlines. You know, you, the headlines are 22% average increases and 100% in Arizona, et cetera, et cetera. But as you guys have dug in, even in the first, what, five or 10 minutes, you know, most people would be protected from these increases through the subsidies. We have national uh, uninsured down substantially, down to 8%, I believe, was the stat line. 
so, you know, and that this is a new market, there are some things that you have to take into account here. I fear that voters won't pay attention long enough to understand uh, root issue, you know, the root issues. Yeah, it's a complex. It's a really complex issue. I mean. One of the things that, that uh, David, I'm really frustrated about when you have conversations about the Affordable Care Act is that it was so complicated that, that what we ended up with had a lot of different dynamics and moving parts inside those dynamics to, to have to, to deal with. And of course, now that it's law and taking effect, we're seeing how complicated those things are. And, and it is difficult for people to figure out what what you know what makes sense and 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 why things are are happening uh, i mean of of course you try in the media to try to to try to explain those things but i but i agree that it's difficult for folks to to focus long enough or to to, to really dig through it um, so thanks very much again for for that call and those and those comments uh, let's go to matt in redford matt welcome to detroit today Hi. Um, I'm wondering what, how much the CEOs of these insurance companies are making that are raising these prices. Uh, great question, Matt. Uh, also, Brian on Twitter asks, how much of the premium increases are motivated by profit margins for private insurance companies? I think, uh, Paul Demko, that's a question that's on a lot of people's minds. Is this price gouging somehow by the insurance companies? Yeah, I mean the law does limit their um, their profits. I mean they they under the ACA have to spend typically eighty five percent of premiums on healthcare costs. But it's a completely legitimate question. And one thing I'd bring up is if you look at these companies, Aetna is a great example. They're largely pulling out of the exchanges, but they're increasingly reliant on government business, Medicare and Medicaid for their revenues. I was on a a, a call a earnings call with them, and they said half of their revenues now come from, from government programs. So at the same time that they are losing money and pulling out of these exchange markets, they're doing quite well um, from other public programs, mostly Medicare and Medicaid. Well, Medicare and Medicaid. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's because of the expansion of those programs to cover, to cover the uninsured, correct? Absolutely. On the Medicaid side, it's the expansion under the Affordable Care Act. On the Medicare side, um, you know, Medicare Advantage, which is the private Medicare uh, part of the program, has been growing astronomically um, in recent years and now accounts for a third of the entire program. So that's a big area of growth for insurers at the same time that they're struggling in these uh, Obamacare markets. In the private markets, yeah. Matt uh, in Redford and Brian on Twitter, thanks very much uh, for that good question. Let's go to Paul in Pontiac. Paul, welcome to Detroit today. Yes, good morning. Hey. Um, first, I don't understand the term Affordable Care Act. But <laughs> that being said, um, I don't understand why if we have mandatory requirement for every citizen to purchase health care of some kind, that we can't have a mandatory requirement for everyone who provides health care insurance to provide a service of some kind to those people. Um, I guess I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure I understand your question, Paul. Would you would require insurers to stay in this market? Yes, I see. That, uh, capitalism aside, require them to provide some kind of a health care plan. Some sort of plan in those markets. 
and not yes. and not pull out. That's a that's a great that's a great point, Paul Demko. Well, yeah, can I jump in on that? Yeah, I, mean, go ahead. I will say um, one thing you could do. Um, I, Congress, the health plans would go crazy, but um, you know it, you could say to the plans, you know, you want to be in Medicare, you want to be in Medicaid, you also need to be in these exchange markets. Um, that's something that they could do. Um, whether that's politically feasible, I I, I, I doubt it. Um, but but it, it, it's it's possible. Yeah, well, and, and that raises another question, Paul Demko, which is, are there other things that Congress could be doing to tweak the Affordable Care Act uh, or change it in substantial ways that, that, would, uh, that would mitigate some of the things that we're seeing in these markets? I mean, I, we know that over the last six years, what we've seen is constant votes in the House of Representatives to repeal uh, the Affordable Care Act, and we haven't gotten to the place where there's any negotiation that goes beyond that. Are there things that they could be talking about doing that would that would make this a little easier, this transition? Absolutely. I think there's a whole host of things that they could do that would not be that difficult. Um, the big question is, um, you know, will a new administration, if it's Hillary Clinton, um, you know, will there be, uh, will she be able to work with Congress um, in a way that hasn't been feasible over the last six years? And that remains an open question. But there are definitely tweaks like insurers would love to see um, the, the administration or Congress cut down on special enrollments where people can sign up outside of the standard enrollment window because they feel like people are gaming the system. Um, you could tweak the, the rules around uh, what products are allowed into the marketplaces in order to provide cheaper options for younger people. Um, there are plenty of things you could do, um, but you've got to get to a place where, where, where Congress is more practical about how they approach this law in a way that they are with, like, say, Medicare, yeah. um, where there are changes made all the time. Right. Uh, let's go to Chuck. Chuck and Franklin. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. I just wanted to remind your audience of that old quote from P.J. O'Rourke, which was, if you think health care is expensive now, just wait until it's free. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess that's one way to look at it. Chuck. Well, it's a, it's a good point. You know, when I talk about the, you know, 85% of folks getting subsidies, that doesn't, you know, and they'll be shielded from the premium increases. That, that doesn't mean those premium increases go away. It means the taxpayers foot the bill for those premium increases. Right, right. And, and the truth is that there isn't a way, at least as long as we are a nation where we don't turn people away, for instance, at emergency rooms or where we just let people fend for themselves. As long as that's true, we're going to pay for people who can't afford health care to get it in some way. The question really is, what's the most efficient way to do it, I suppose, uh, but, but also what's the way to do it to make sure that people get the kind of care that, that they need? In other words, uh, primary care is a lot less expensive than emergent care. And the whole idea behind the law, or one of them, was to get more people access to that primary care as a way of lowering the cost of them you know, running into the emergency room when, when something's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely the goal. I think the jury's still out on how effective it has been in doing that. There was a, a study that came out yesterday in Minnesota that showed uncompensated care at hospitals is down 16% since 2013, which is rather dramatic. If, if um, you know, if you could see that happening nationwide, it would it would make a, a big difference for hospitals and for the overall healthcare system. Yeah. Okay, uh, Paul Demko, healthcare reporter with Politico. Thanks uh, for being with us on Detroit Today.
You're welcome. All right. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about the millage proposals in Wayne County that are trying to fill the gaps in education funding. Are these a good idea? Is this something, is this a symptom of a broken funding system for our schools statewide? Stay with us on Detroit Today.